0: Well, good morning once again. I was just thinking, you know, earlier, feeling a little discombobulated, a little bit out of sorts. Um, Man, sometimes our weeks can make us feel that way, can't they? Uh, Does anyone ever show up at church feeling like you come skidding in on two wheels? Like, (laughs) then it's like, okay, we're at church now. Kids, behave, you know? Um, I remember uh, several years ago, I went to Ireland, and uh, has anyone ever been to Ireland, the country? Yeah. My ancestors. So, so yes. So you you remember, Um, (laughs) they they have roadways that are like divided highways, like here, and you're traveling. You can travel at whatever kilometers per hour that is posted, but you know, pretty fast. But they'll you'll come across signs as you're heading into a town because. Ireland's pretty old, and so the, town, the roads don't go around the towns, they go through the towns, and so it goes down to real narrow, you know, uh, little village lanes. So they have to take this two-lane, or four-lane divided highway, and somehow figure out how to get it safely down to about one and a half lanes, going through these villages. But they start, you'll start seeing these signs that say, traffic calming ahead. And I remember first seeing that, like, traffic calming. But uh, after we drove through a few of these villages, we understood, oh, traffic calming, it's to calm the traffic, because we travel at like full speed, you know, full tilt all the way through our week. And uh, maybe as we approach Sunday, what if we started seeing signs that said, traffic calming ahead, (laughs) that we started like saying, okay, I'm gonna start slowing down here. I'm gonna start merging a little bit. I'm gonna start settling in to a new pace, a new rhythm as I go through this special time. Because in Ireland, I'm glad the roads don't go around the villages. The villages are the best part. That's really a beautiful thing to see in Ireland. And so uh, maybe, I need to, as I'm preparing for Sunday, do a little bit better job of calming, (laughs) of doing some traffic calming from my week. So anyway, I just thought of that. That was free. Um, So hey, have you ever... uh, Oh, today is our our second week in our Beautiful Attitudes series, uh, time we're going to spend with Jesus on the hillside in Matthew, uh, looking at the Beatitudes uh, in this current series. This is week number two, and today's message is called Kingdom Ethics, Kingdom Ethics. Uh, But let's start by talking about this. Have you ever felt uh, like you somehow ended up in the wrong place? Like you looked around and like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't belong here. Maybe uh, you felt like you were in a group of people and you just did not fit in. Maybe you felt like an outsider. I know some people feel like an outsider in almost every group. Uh, some people feel like occasionally they're surprised with that feeling some of you are just social butterflies and you never feel that way good for you but some of us I think have found ourselves feeling like an outsider at some point in time Uh, ever since I was young uh, I have had this recurring this recurring bad dream I've had this recurring bad dream that I was at school and the school year had already begun and i'm there in a classroom full of students the bell has rung and the teacher has has started teaching stuff to us and this sickening realization starts to dawn on me as i'm sitting there in this classroom full of kids this sickening realization starts to dawn on me i'm in the wrong class anyone else have this dream you're in the wrong class and you're already, you're committed. Everyone's seated. In that moment, I'm frozen in my dream. I'm frozen, I'm petrified. My eyes start darting nervously around the room. What am I going to do? I'm petrified, I'm afraid to stand up because if I stand up, I'm going to make it known that I don't belong here. So you're caught in this moment of like, do I just hide? or do I get up and then everybody knows that I don't belong I'll be I'll be drawing attention to myself as I schlep away out of the classroom trying to hide behind my trapper keeper this is my dream I can't tell you how many nights even as an adult how many nights I've awoken uh, with a racing pulse with a sweaty, worried brow, mortified at being in the wrong place at the wrong time, finding myself in a place where I just don't belong. Guys, that's a bad feeling, right? I mean, we're not even gonna talk about the times being at school in my dream in my underwear. I'm not sure how that happens either, but does anyone else have that dream? You know, I, I thought everybody had that dream, but they, they don't, apparently. But the showing up at school in your underwear dream, man, That's rough. It's almost as bad as the one where you end up in the wrong class. So being in the wrong place at the wrong time, being in a place where you just don't feel like you belong, I wonder if people don't feel this way in church sometimes. I wonder if people have this waking bad dream in church sometimes where they just feel like I don't belong here like maybe they feel like they somehow accidentally ended up here and they really have no business being in this group being in this room i have no business being here deep down inside i wonder if people don't feel like they might just be an outsider now why is this what are some of the reasons why people might feel like an outsider when it comes to the church any thoughts Well, I'm sorry, what? The words we use sometimes. Okay, language. Okay, Sue? They didn't grow up in church so they they don't know what you're supposed to do. So just unfamiliarity, right? Anything else? It's worse than everybody here. Okay, they feel like they have not measured up to a certain mark of morality or behavior to be there. Okay, maybe they've been hurt maybe some terrible ugly things have happened in their experience they want no business there and so they feel like they've been gone so long they can't come back I think one reason though I'd like to talk about today is that um, and it's kinda what what you talked about Jamie uh, it's not uncommon for those inside the church to speak in a language that's unfamiliar to those outside the church you've heard of christianese you know i mean there's religious lingo or jargon we use that is shorthand for those inside the fellowship that really doesn't translate i mean we talk about like have you been washed in the blood of the lamb i mean think about how weird that sounds to someone who's not familiar with the christian narrative you've been washed in the blood well especially if you say washed, but but have you been washed in the blood of the lamb i mean if that doesn't sound like a cult practice I don't know what does you know you know there's a fountain filled with blood gross i'm not going there that's weird you know uh, but we've been in it for so long that doesn't sound weird because we hear it and we know exactly what it means but i wonder we use a language if we don't use a language it's unfamiliar uh, in the church church folk can unintentionally use uh, insider terminology insider terminology that does not translate to people outside the church. It's tempting for any group, not just churches, but any group that is identified or defined by certain beliefs or membership to operate in what's called bounded set thinking. Has anyone ever heard about bounded set versus centered set thinking? Well, bounded set thinking can uh, really creep into organizational life. Bounded set thinking sets a boundary around those who are inside the group between those people that are inside the group and those who are outside the group. You understand what I'm saying? Bounded set thinking sets a boundary between those who are inside and those who are outside the group. In church, if you imagine a square, and then for fun you could put a little steeple on top of it because we're talking about church. In church, bounded set thinking most basically divides along lines of belief in Jesus. I mean, at the most basic level, we divide people based on who has and who has not believed in Jesus Christ. Those who have asked Jesus into their hearts and those who haven't. Those on the inside have asked Jesus to come into their hearts and those outside the bounded set have not. So there is a big difference then between those who are inside the church and those who are outside the church. So essentially what's created is a big, bold line running down right between the saved and the sinners. And that becomes clear, and that's something we can communicate sometimes in our language and in our actions toward those who we perceive as outside of our bounded set. While Now, don't get me wrong. Things like repentance and turning away from our sin and trusting in Jesus, those are essential, those are important things in the life with God. But let me ask you this, in Jesus' life and ministry, is this what we saw Jesus demonstrating? I want to think a little more critically and look a little bit more closely at how Jesus demonstrated these dynamics about the life with God and how we entered into that during his life and ministry. Did he draw a big line, saying, uh, speaking in bounded set thinking that this is the inside group and this is the outside group? Did Jesus talk in bounded set language? Was he speaking only to the insiders? Was he speaking to only those who already got it? Was he making his followers feel welcomed while making outsiders feel awkward and out of place? Is that the sense you get when you look at Jesus and you read his words? Or, did Jesus somehow talk truthfully about his kingdom? Did Jesus somehow manage to talk truthfully about the challenge of the Christian life without excluding those who didn't yet believe? As you read Jesus' words, you get this sense that something about what he's doing is, is just masterful. He's not skirting the truth. He's not not, uh, soft-shoeing around the the challenge of, of the life with Christ, the life following after Him. But also, it was welcoming to those who hadn't yet believed. Jesus was able to extend a message of welcome and transformation to all who heard Him, appealing especially to those who felt far away from God. We've said this often, but of that big, massive, diverse group around him, who felt the most spoken to? Who felt like they were seen by Jesus the most? Oftentimes, it was those who were most convinced that God wanted nothing to do with them. They were somehow drawn to Jesus like, can it be true? Me? We see over and over again, Jesus extending both a high invitation and a high challenge To all those gathered around him and all those listening. High invitation and high challenge. Jesus made it clear to all who came close that everyone may come to him. Everyone is welcome. All may come, but all must die. All must die. All must take up their cross. All must be prepared to count the cost, so that welcome, that transformation, that high invitation, yet that high challenge, Jesus presented both. You must be be, uh, aware of both of these things, that all are welcome, but all must come to die, if you're going to follow after Jesus, if you're going to discover this new life with God through faith. I believe Jesus instead of promoting bounded set thinking I believe he demonstrated what's called centered set thinking centered set thinking in how he interacted with this diverse group around him with these various people that were gathering on the hillside with him Jesus understood and I believe he wants us to understand as well that everyone everyone is somewhere in orbit of around Jesus somewhere everyone is somewhere in relation to Jesus and his message everyone has some sort of belief in or about God okay whether that's good or bad everybody is in some sort of orbit around Jesus in relation to him and his message Imagine, if you will then, instead of a square, like we talked about with bounded-set thinking, imagine more of a spiral, where Jesus is at the center, and there's just a spiral of infinite possibilities, infinite relations of people's proximity to Jesus and His teaching uh, in, in orbit around Him. Everyone is somewhere in proximity to faith in Jesus. Some of these people are moving closer in, and some are moving further away. Jesus' ambition during his life and ministry, and even now, seemed to be to move his listeners ever closer in. He wanted his listeners to move closer in, to hear what he said, take it in, and then move closer. Jesus patiently, over and over again, patiently described his kingdom. He described the new creation. He talked about God's mercy. He talked about salvation to all who would listen and his desire was that all would come closer all would move closer in in every interaction Jesus was intentional about nudging people nudging people closer and closer to the truth something about how Jesus spoke didn't let you sit comfortably where you were something about how Jesus spoke it compelled a response it it almost forced a decision You had to choose. You had to decide something. You had to figure out what you were going to do with Jesus based on what he said and how he spoke to you. People, and we see this all throughout the Gospels, people didn't just say, All right, thanks, Jesus. See you later. See you on the next hillside. They responded. They responded, they reacted in some way. People either moved closer to Jesus, or they moved further from Jesus. They either moved closer to Jesus and embraced His teachings, or they moved further away and they rejected Him. Those who came closer to Jesus became more like disciples, who became more and more humble and obedient to His teachings. Those who moved further away became more like the Pharisees. They became more obstinate. They became more, res- more resistant to his message. They became more prideful. I can't think of a time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of a time when Jesus, who was surrounded by curious people, drew a line in the sand and said, Okay, Christians, this side. Sinners, that side. I, don't think, I can't think of a time where Jesus drew that line in the sand. He showed so much patience and so much persistence in his mission. The dividing line of faith did not emanate so much from Jesus in those situations as it did uh, arise within the heart of the listener. Those hearing Jesus' words were forced to make a decision. So that dividing line was never drawn in the sand by Jesus. It was drawn in our hearts the high invitation and the high challenge call of faith in Jesus Christ, it, was, it etched a line of demarcation between belief and unbelief inside of each person. Each person that was gathered around Jesus that day, inside of them they were drawn to a place of decision. So, as we today sit with Jesus on that hillside in Matthew chapter 5, as we listen to his Sermon on the Mount... Let's keep this centered-set thinking in mind that everyone who hears his message is in some relation to Jesus. Whether far away or close, everyone's on the move. We're either moving in closer or we're moving further away. Jesus was surrounded by all kinds of people, all kinds of curious people, just like us. I imagine there were three, three basic rings of people. Three different strata of people gathered around Jesus that day, just basically or generally. Uh, the inner ring, that closest ring of people around Jesus, who were they? His disciples. Uh, the disciples were the ones sitting closest in. We get this sense that they were sitting with Jesus real close in. But those who were most intent to hear what he had to say were sitting the closest and they were uh, the disciples. Those who already, at s- to some degree, believed in Jesus. Those that often followed him from place to place to hear his teachings over and over again. So that's the closest ring. The second ring I would call uh, the middle ring. Okay, I'm getting creative here. But the middle ring. Who's in that middle ring? Do you think? So you got your disciples. That second ring would be who? Huh? Let's call them the crowd. Yeah, all kinds of people. This is a spectrum of people in that middle ring. All the way and and this middle ring includes people who are honestly curious to learn more about this jesus character all the way to those people who are there uh, for a free lunch i mean clearly the message had got around pretty quickly that this guy makes some big lunch happen right it's like uh maybe he'll do that fish and bread thing again that's awesome but you know how it is some people sit in church every sunday just like for no real reason but they're just there to find out what's going on. And that's just like what's happening in this middle ring. There's people that are genuinely interested to all the, way, all the way to those who are just hungry. So the third ring, the outer ring. Who do you think populates this outer ring, this third ring? The Pharisees, the skeptics, those who are really there to reject and find angles of attack with Jesus. These are the smug, the self-righteous people who are stewing who are scoffing at Jesus, and they're just looking for a way to confront Him, and to attack Him, and to bring Him down. But here's the thing. Did Jesus talk to the inner ring, and then talk to the center ring, or the middle ring, and then talk to that outer ring, with different messages? Did He talk warmly here, and then kind of persuasively in the middle ring, and then kind of like snarky to the third ring? No, Jesus said the same thing to all three. Jesus said the same thing to all the people gathered around him. Jesus was intent on discipling them all. Jesus said the same thing to everyone who would listen. The big, the fundamental difference then was in how they responded. That's, what we see the diff- that's where we see the difference on those hillsides, is how the people responded. Because of Jesus' teaching, some people moved closer in by faith, while some moved further away through doubt and derision. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Let's start in verse 1. Just refresh our memory on the scene here. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No, instead a lamp is... (laughs) to get that? Hide it under a bushel. No one hides a, lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Now, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, and as we read through the Beatitudes, and I added in the teachings about salt and light there at the end, but as we read through that, it's important to understand that most, most believe that the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of Jesus' teachings, Uh, This is kind of his greatest hits album, okay? These were the common themes that he went around teaching in various places uh, during his three years of ministry. Uh, Most don't think that this is necessarily a transcript. And as you read through the Sermon on the night, you do notice there are some pretty abrupt transitions between theme and topic, right? So that kind of makes me think, too, that this may be just a collection of Jesus' common, popular teachings among the people. But either way, whether it's a transcript or whether it's just a, uh, a mixtape or a greatest hits of Jesus' teachings, the Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount actually does something important. It accurately captures the heart of Jesus' teachings about the life with God. This is like distilled, powerful teaching about what it means to live life with God and about what life in Christ's kingdom is about. Jesus here highlights and identifies his kingdom ethics. This is how we ought to live in his kingdom. Jesus describes what should matter most to his disciples. Here it is in these chapters. Jesus zeroes in on what attitudes and what values ought to guide our interactions with the world and our understanding of our identity and of our purpose who we are in the world. This is why he includes things like the Beatitudes, but then also his teachings about salt and light. Jesus wants to understand his kingdom ethics, what the life with God is about, but what our life in the world should be like. What we should be doing during the time we've been given in the world under the Lordship of Jesus. In one of the commentaries I used to prepare this message, the InterVarsity Press New Testament commentary, Explain this well. I think it describes this well. It says Jesus summons those who would be his followers to radical devotion and radical dependence on God. His followers must be meek. They must not retaliate. They must go beyond the law's letter to its spirit, and they must do what is right when only God is looking. They must depend on God for their needs and pursue His interests rather than their own, and must leave spiritual measurements of others' hearts to God. In short, true people of the kingdom live for God, not for themselves. Readers should contemplate the message of this sermon. Having summarized Jesus' message of repentance in view of the coming kingdom, Matthew now collects Jesus' teachings that explain how a repentant person ready for God's rule should live. Only those submitted to God's reign now are truly prepared for the time when he will judge the world and reign there unchallenged. This sermon provides examples of the self-sacrificial ethics of the kingdom, which its citizens must learn to exemplify, even in the present world, before the rest of the world recognizes that kingdom. So essentially, humility grief over sin and brokenness, meekness, an appetite for righteousness, mercy, purity, peacemaking, perseverance in the face of suffering and persecution. These are the types of personal and shared ethics that mark kingdom citizens. These type of ethics, these set apart those who are actually blessed by God. How we live in the world. Jesus began his sermon with the Beatitudes on purpose. This is the starting point that he chose in this sermon. And we need to hear them. We need to be startled. We need to be awakened to the realities of Jesus' upside-down kingdom so that we can rightly hear and then live out his kingdom ethics. Because they are the priorities that guide us as we go out into the world As light and as we are sent into the world as salt these are the attitudes these are the values that that prepare us to actually go and fulfill our calling to be light and to be salt in the world the beautiful attitudes which Jesus describes at the outset of the Sermon on the Mount they help prepare us listeners to become his disciples This is an opportunity for us, too, to hear Jesus' words and to respond. Will you move closer in? Or will you move further away? The choice is ours today. Let's pray together. Father, um, Jesus was pretty great. The way he expressed your love for us and and your care for us uh, just really blows me away. Lord, that um, you sent Jesus into the world and he came teaching in humility, unafraid to present the truth, unafraid to call all who would listen to himself. God, I think it's good for us to remember what it's like to sit on a hillside with, with Jesus and hear his words. I think sometimes we suffer from overfamiliarity with some passages in the Bible, but I pray that we would hear it as if we were among those who are there that day listening to Jesus. God, I pray that we would also recognize that we're all somewhere in orbit around him. We're sitting close. We're maybe sitting in the middle distance. Or maybe we've been far away, skeptical, keeping Jesus at arm's length, Lord, I pray that uh, just like on that hillside in Matthew, that something would happen today, that we too would be compelled to respond, that none of us would leave here unchanged or unmoved today. And it's so great that Jesus has invited us back into into your family, that he's invited us back through faith to be reconciled and into new life. But God, I'm also thankful that he outlined what that life is like how we ought to live, how we are to discipline ourselves uh, to fit more and more uh, into the kingdom, to be more at, and more at home in the family of God. So I pray that you would uh, convict each of our hearts, pr- compel each of our hearts, we ask. And I pray for my friends here that have been following Jesus. I pray that they would uh, make a deeper, a renewed commitment to move closer in, to see their life become more and more... Uh, integrated into Jesus' life and into the, the, the kingdom ethics He communicates to us over and over again. And, and I pray for my friends who've never followed Jesus or have maybe been kind of just hanging out around the perimeter. I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would draw those people in, that they would hear Jesus truly and deeply today. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You that You've never given up on us. God, we lift our prayers to You in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a uh, couple of announcements. I don't know, let me check here, if uh, Kiki's coming to talk to us. Oh, nope. Maybe next week. Uh, Love Thy Neighbor is this Friday. Uh, this is the new, new iteration of our reaching our neighborhood with uh, food and cleaning supplies and things like that. Uh, Heather Haynes is back there. She's helping me out. She's wearing the blue mask. <laughs> Everyone's like wearing masks now. The blue fabric mask. Uh, we are just needing a handful of volunteers each week and we're working on uh, setting up a rotation for volunteers for those events which will be on the second and fourth Fridays of the month from 1 to 2.30 and uh, working with Victory Mission. It went really well last two Fridays ago so looking forward to this uh, this time uh, being equally great. I would love to see more and more people come and be blessed by that. But anyway, uh, let's be praying for that. If you want to be involved in it, talk to Heather and we'll get you plugged in there. So uh, back on the back counter is some t-shirts. You can talk to my wife about those. We have some Hope and Anchor t-shirts, which that image, if you didn't know, that image with the lady holding the anchor in the stormy sea, that's where the whole idea for Hope and Anchor came from. It's a poster or it's a... Painting kind of deal in a tavern in Anacortes, Washington, (laughs) called the Brown Lantern. And uh, my wife and I were there several several years ago, and I saw this poster and was like, that's a cool poster. And I took a picture of it. But it wasn't a great picture. So then a couple of years ago, Samuel went up there, and he got a better picture of it. And that's the picture we used to actually make the silk screen for the Hope and Anchor shirt. So it's a picture of like a woman holding an anchor in the sea. And that's where the whole idea for Hope and Anchor came from. So, huh, fun fact. Now you know the story behind Hope and Anchor. It came from the Brown Lantern Tavern, in, uh, which is funny because we planted our church in a bar too. So, uh, Let's see. Student ministry, anything going on tonight? Kindy. Yeah. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Here. Yes. Um, we'll be back at our house tonight, uh, so if you need information on that Facebook. To... Okay, what time? Six to eight. Okay, six to eight at the Satterfields. Okay, uh, I mentioned offering early at the beginning of church, but I forgot to say what I'm always supposed to say. We view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship. So we want to be careful to, op- to provide opportunity for that. So anything I missed? <laughs> you guys are awesome. Let's stand and praise the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, all glory to God, who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the Church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.